Good evening and welcome to our Bible study. And as you know, we're going through the book of Job. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Job chapter 21 as we read together. Listen carefully to my words. Let this be the consolation you give me. Bear with me while I speak. And after I have spoken, mock on. Is my complaint directed to man? Why should I not be impatient? Look at me and be astonished. Clap your hand over your mouth. When I think about this, I'm terrified. Trembling seizes my body. Why do the wicked live on, growing old and increasing in power? They see their children established around them, their offspring before their eyes. Their homes are safe and free from fear. The rod of God is not upon them. Their bulls never fail to breed. Their cows calf and do not miscarry. They send forth their children as a flock. Their little ones dance about. They sing to the music of the tambourine and the harp and make merry to the sound of the flute. They spend their years in prosperity and go down to the grave in peace. Yet they say to God, Leave us alone. We have no desire to know your ways. Who is the Almighty What we should, that we should serve him? What would we gain by praying to him? But their prosperity is not in their own hands. So I stand aloof from the counsel of the wicked. Yet, how often is the lamp of the wicked snuffed out? How often does calamity come upon them? The fate God allots in his anger. How often are they like straw before the wind, like chaff swept away by a gale? It is said God stores up man's punishment for his sons. Let him repay the man himself so that he will know it. Let his own eyes see his destruction. Let him drink of the wrath of the Almighty. For what does he care about the family he leaves behind? when his allotted months come to an end. Can anyone teach knowledge to God? Since he judges, even the highest, one man dies in full vigour, completely secure and at ease, his body well nourished, his bones rich with marrow. Another man dies in bitterness of soul, never having enjoyed anything good. Side by side they lie in the dust and worms cover them both. I know full well what you are thinking, the schemes by which you would wrong me. You say, where now is the great man's house, the tents where wicked men lived? Have you never questioned those who travel? Have you paid no regard to their accounts, that the evil man is spared from the day of calamity? That he delivered from the he is delivered from the day of wrath? Who denounces his conduct to his faith? Who repays him for what he has done? He is carried to the grave, and watch is kept over his tomb. The soil in the valley is sweet to him. All men follow after him, and a countless throng goes before him. So how can we? Cons- how, so how can you console me? With your nonsense, nothing is left of your answers but falsehoods. 
Well, it's uh, just as God's blessing on us as we come to his word together. Our Father, we thank you again that you are here with us, that you will guide us through these words that we've read together in your presence. And we pray that you will just teach us by what we learn, as you teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, Job 21. Um, and here we have Job's reply to Zophar. You know, at this point we've seen Eliphaz, Bildad and Zophar have each spoken twice to Job and all three of them have seen Job's suffering. But they see Job's suffering as being a punishment from God. And Job's suffering is evidence to them. But Job, who was once seen as a righteous man, has now become a wicked man, a godless man, and a man who is now receiving God's wrath. This is all based on their belief that bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. Therefore, Job must be a bad person. Galifas has said it, Bildad agrees with it, and so far has just put coals on the fire. You will have noticed by now that Job's three friends are listening to and agreeing with each other. You see, they're satisfied that they have the answers to Job's problems. They've been listening to Job's words, but they haven't really heard what Job has been saying. And because of that, they have become self-righteous pompous and even aggressive. They started out with the right intentions. They came and sat with Job and were quiet in his presence. But now, as things have built up, they have changed. They are the ones who have become self-righteous, as I've said, pompous and, and aggressive and arrogant. And as we come to this passage, it seems that Job has more concern for their welfare than they have for his and that Job is actually trying to help them understand what they should be saying and what they should be doing. So let's come to the first three, the three verses of this passage. And this is Job sort of speaking to them before he actually says what he wants to say. In other words, before I speak, bear this in mind. And Job replied, listen carefully to my words. Let this be the consolation you give me. Bear with me while I speak, and after I have spoken, mock on. So first of all, he's saying, listen, but listen carefully to my words. Secondly, he's saying, if you do really listen to me, you will be able to bring me the comfort that I need. The comfort I need after my loss and my disappointment so that you can then help me to bear this prop, this burden that I have been called to carry. And then thirdly, he's saying, in the meantime, bear with me while I speak. He's already spoken to them six times, and they still don't understand what he has been saying. So he wants them now to stop, to be quiet, and to concentrate he wants them to listen carefully to what he is about to say. And fourthly, the statement that we read, 
and after I have spoken, mock on. It's as if Job is saying to them, if you don't listen to me this time, then I just give up on you. So when we come to verse 4 and through to verse 6, it's like Job saying, look, I've told you who I think is responsible for my suffering. It's not man. Verse 6, is my complaint directed to a human being? Why should I not be impatient? Look at me and be appalled. Clap your hand over your mouth. And when I think about this, I am terrified. Trembling seizes my body. Job is saying, look, I know that it's God who is allowing this to happen. He is the one I am looking to for answers. Yes, I am impatient and yes, I am terrified. But what else do you expect me to do? Do you expect me to be comfortable with this situation? So look at me, listen to what I'm saying and be shocked. You see, what's happening here is what we might call a jaw-dropping experience. Be shocked into silence. In other words, open mouth and then cover your, your mouth with your hand. He's saying, I don't understand it. I don't think that it's fair that I should suffer. But this is not the time for us to be having what has turned into a theological argument. Job's saying this is a time to face facts and a time to have faith. So as we come to verse 7 and we read through to verse 15, Job's saying, let's look at things through honest eyes. We might say, take off the rose-coloured glasses and have a look around. So look at this. Firstly, let's look at how a family lives. The family of many who choose to live without a thought for God. So when he thinks about this, he says, Why do the wicked live on growing old and increasing power? They see their children established around them, their offspring before their eyes. Their homes are safe and free from fear. The rod of God is not on them. These are the wicked he's talking about. Then he goes on and he's saying, what about the business lives of many who live without a thought for God? See, many of Job's contemporaries would have been farmers and herdsmen. That's where they would uh, do business. That's where they would make their money. So Job talks about them in verse 10 and 11. He says, their bulls never fail to breed. Their cows carve and do not miscarry. They send forth their children as a flock. Their little ones dance about. And then Job goes on. And what he's going to do now, he's going to say, okay, we've looked at their the, family lives, we've looked at their business lives, what about the social lives that these so-called wicked people have, those people who are living without a thought for God? And he says, when you look at them, you see that they sing to the music of the tambourine and the lyre, they make merry to the sound of the pipe, they spend their years in prosperity and go down to the grave in peace. And then he moves his thoughts to the spiritual lives of these many people who live without seeing a need for God. And so he says, Yet yeah, they say to God, Leave us alone. 
We have no desire to know your ways. Who is the Almighty that we should serve him? What would we gain by praying to him? See, Job's questions are going to show us that he's not like these people. So when we go on in these following verses from here out to 21, we read, But their prosperity is not in their own hands. So I stand aloof from the plans of the wicked. Yet how often is the lamp of the wicked snuffed out? How often does calamity come upon them? The face of God in his anger. How often are they like straw before the wind, like shafts swept away by a gale? It is said, God stores up the punishments of the wicked for their children. Let him repay the wicked so that they themselves will experience it. Let their own eyes see their destruction. Let them drink the cup of wrath of the Almighty. For what do they care about their families that they leave behind when their allotted months come to an end? You see, what Job is doing here, he's, he's looking at the reality of how the wicked are living. Many of them are prospering. They live prosperous lives. They have great families, good businesses. And they live to an old age and they die comfortably in their beds. And Job is contrasting his life with theirs. He's looking at the reality. And he sees that he's not like them. They prosper by godless means, but they don't suffer. While Job leads a godly life, yet he suffers. He doesn't know why, and he doesn't think it's fair. But he's pointing out how wrong the theology of his friends is. And they can see how wrong it is when they look at the reality of life as we see it here in this world. And then in verse 22 to 26, we're coming up here basically with a, a, a question. And the question is, can we question God? You know, I want us to stop and think a moment because there is a difference between questioning and asking questions. Questioning is a challenge to what's happening. It's a challenge to the end result. Asking questions is a search for reasons. So 22, Job says, Can anyone teach knowledge to God, since he judges even the highest? And then he goes on, to another reality, one person dies in full vigour, completely secure and at ease, well-nourished, in body, bones, rich with marrow. Another dies in bitterness of soul, never having enjoyed anything good. And then he concludes by saying, side by side, they lie in the dust and worms cover them over. And Job is saying to his friends, look, some things just don't make any sense to me. And I, like you, want answers. So that's what I'm doing. I am seeking answers by asking God. And I'm asking God, why? 
But notice, in all that we've seen so far, Job's anchor is in his faith. And here he sees, in contrast to the theology of his friends, he sees friends who are saying that God always makes bad people suffer and always makes good people prosper. Job has shown them that that is not true of life. And Job is saying, look, my anchor is my faith. And my faith is in God. How do we know that? Well, we know about Job. And when we go back to Job chapter 1, verse 21 to 22, this is what we know. This is his faith. This is what he's holding on to. If you want to put it this way, this is his theology. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. You see, he's not questioning God. He's not questioning his reasons, but he's asking for answers as to why. When you come to the final part of this chapter, verse 27 through to 33, Job knows why they are saying what they are saying. See, first of all, the basis of their reasons for calling him a godless man in need of repentance is that they see the things that they are looking at they see the things that have been taken from Job, his family, his possessions, his health, and they see his relationship with God being taken away, and they conclude that he is guilty of some great sin. And in verse 27, Job says, I know full well what you are thinking, the schemes by which you would wrong me. You say, where now is the house of the great, the tents where the wicked lived? You see, he's saying to them, look, you've moved away from what you know to be true. Sometimes God does allow the godless to prosper in this life. But you need to see that God sometimes allows the righteous to suffer. And verse 29 and 30 have you never questioned those who travel? Have you paid no regard to their accounts? In other words, just watch people, see their lives and listen to what they say. Then he goes on, that the wicked are spared from the day of calamity, but they are delivered from the day of wrath. You know, the truth is that in this life it might appear this way, but God's judgment day will come. So thirdly, what Job is saying here, do you see anyone speaking against them? That is the wicked. No, they're admired. They are envied. They live to a long and a happy, uh, they live a long and happy life. They die a peaceful death. When they die, they have a state funeral. And statues are built in their honour. 
This is what Job is saying in these following verses when he says, Who denounces their conduct to their face? Who repays them for what they have done? They are carried to the grave, and a watch is kept over their tombs. The soil in the valley is sweet to them. Everyone follows after them, and a countless throng goes before them. And we come to verse 34. And we can head this there. Think about what I'm saying. Go and reconsider what you have been saying. It's like as old Job says, what you've been saying to me is not true. Certainly not in the light of what is happening to me. And it doesn't make any sense to me. Not in my situation. So how can you think that what you are saying will bring me any comfort in this my time of need? Verse 34, so how can you cons console me with nonsense? Nothing is left of your answers but falsehood. You know, as we draw to a close, there's a saying that we use very often, seeing is believing. But what is it that Job's three friends are seeing? And what is it that is leading them to believe what they say they believe? Another thought for us to consider as we come to the close of this chapter of Job 21. What did the disciples believe as they witnessed Jesus suffer and die? What did they think? How were they influenced by what they saw as Jesus hung on the cross? You know, I hope you excuse these metaphors and take them in the way that they are meant. We treat them reverently, but to put in everyday language, they thought that this was the final nail in the coffin. But they would later see that this was actually the victory flag being raised. And while we're on the subject of metaphors, to finish with another metaphor, don't let jumping to conclusions be the only exercise that we get when we consider the majesty and the wisdom of God. Let's not make the mistakes that Job's three friends are making. So here's a question. Will they listen carefully to Job's words? Will they be able to comfort him? Have they listened to him while he has been speaking? Or will they continue to, as Job said, mock on? We'll find out in the next chapter. Chapter 22. Eliphaz will speak for the third time and for the last time in this book of Joel. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you again for the time that we've been able to spend gathered around your word and we pray that we will have taken uh, a challenge from what we've heard, that we will learn not to be like Job's three friends and that we will be encouraged to be like Job, whether we are called to suffer or called to comfort those who are suffering.
And we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.